Man, how are we doing this morning, church? Good. Ah, good to be together. Kids, boy, you're just ready to go, right? You're excited for class? Good. Excellent. This morning, you're going to be talking about how God used Egypt to provide for the nation of Israel during a famine. You're going to be in Genesis 42. Be sure to thank your teachers as you go. And kids, you are headed off to class. Have a great time. Everyone else, just wanted to begin by letting you know and remind you, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. We have two new apps that we're using to communicate. And I've been excited to see you guys jumping in, figuring them out. Lots of you have downloaded and are using Church Center, which is totally cool. We now have over 60 people in our Slack community. Thanks for jumping in. I'd love to hit 100 by the end of February. That would be cool. And remember that even if you don't have a smartphone, uh, these are available online. Um, so you can access them there at nbcsj.org slash apps. So with that, we're moving into our time in God's Word together. Uh, We're on week 12 of our series in the book of Luke called The Good Doctor. Jesus is the good doctor, and we're studying and looking at Luke's account of his time, of Jesus' time on earth. In chapter 4 of Luke, which is where we'll be today, uh, and you can go ahead and turn there, chapter 4 of Luke, Luke focuses on Jesus' authority. Our title this morning is Jesus Has All Authority. Now, I know for many of you, you might look at this and go, duh, of course. We just sang, all authority, every victory is yours. But we should be reminded of this often because we all forget this fact at times and either try to grab the authority ourselves or hand it over to other people. Though our passage today is verses 31 to 37 of Luke chapter 4, I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter to see a few things about Jesus' authority. A few weeks ago, Dave talked about Jesus' temptation. And I want you to see one of Satan's offers in verses 5 through 7. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now, Satan is right in some part. He has some authority. But it's temporary, and it's minuscule. And we'll talk more about this later. Satan offers Jesus authority. But Jesus knows that all authority and power is his. In fact, he uses that very power and authority against Satan. And then Jesus starts using that power and authority in his ministry. Look ahead to verse 14 of chapter 4. It says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. In the power of the Spirit. Jesus has the power of the Spirit. And then from last week, look at verses 18 to 21. Jesus stands up and reads this. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That was spoken with authority. That's why everyone got angry at him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you saying? He's standing up and saying this with authority. And so now we come to this week's passage. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. As was customary back in the day, um, and as is still and always honoring to God's word, let's go ahead and stand as we read today's passage. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And as he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. God, I am thankful for your word. God, I am thankful that your word possesses authority. You have all authority. So God, as we dive into your word, as we, as we look at it this morning, let us give credit where credit is due. God, all authority is yours. So far be it from us to try to take it, to try to hold on to it, to try to do anything with it. It's your authority, God. So God, just help us to lay aside distractions and just dive in to your word this morning. God, let the words I say not be mine, but be yours. And let the praise, the honor, the glory go to you. Because that's where it belongs. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So we're going to look at a few things in this passage that speak to the authority of Jesus. And you've got blanks to fill in. Some of you like writing and filling in blanks and stuff like that. So if you want to pull that out um, of your bulletin, you can follow along. First of all, God is not deterred by rejection. God is not deterred by rejection. Last week, as, as Dave talked about this passage, we saw that Jesus wasn't well received in Nazareth. Verse 24, he says that no prophet is acceptable in his own, in his hometown. But what did Jesus do? Well, he just left and continued teaching elsewhere. 
He went down to Capernaum. Here's a map of the area. Some of you like maps. Uh, so he was up in Nazareth and he kind of went down to Capernaum. Now, if you can see, Capernaum looks like it's up. It's north. It is. And the reason it says he went down is it's lower in elevation. So he was up a little higher um, when he was in Nazareth and he went down to Capernaum. We see God's authority here in that he decides who hears. He decides who does his will, not us. Moses didn't want to go before Pharaoh. He didn't want to be God's mouthpiece. We're actually looking at this uh, with our middle schoolers and high schoolers right now. We're going through the book of Exodus. But Moses' refusal didn't stop God. It was his plan all along to use Moses, and he did. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. When God told him to go, he went in the opposite direction. But that didn't stop God. He still used Jonah. Saul hated Christians. He spent tons of effort going around and killing as many as possible. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But that didn't stop Jesus. He used Saul, who later became Paul, as one of his greatest witnesses. Look at what Romans eight twenty-eight to 30 says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are co- called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you see that it's God that's doing the pursuing? Paul says earlier in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even when someone wants nothing to do with God, that doesn't stop his plan for them. Jesus has the ultimate authority over each of our lives. God is not deterred by rejection. Next, Jesus redeems the Sabbath. This healing that happens right here is the first of five healings that Luke specifically records that Jesus did on the Sabbath. Luke wanted his readers to see that Jesus was doing something countercultural by doing that. Here in Exodus is the original commandment that God gave his people. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, Uh, or the sojourner which is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now the Israelites took very seriously the phrase, you shall not do any work. They even added rules to Jewish law to make sure that people strictly obeyed this commandment. So you can imagine their frustration when this guy shows up that is performing miracles and teaching with authority, so seemingly from God, but is doing it on a day when he shouldn't be working and healing someone is work, right? Mm -hmm. But in healing on the Sabbath, Jesus shows his authority. 
he's showing that he is here to communicate the heart behind the commandment that his people have gotten wrong. That takes authority. Clearly, no rabbi had ever done that. He is showing that he has the authority to show them what the Sabbath is all about. Next. Jesus speaks and acts with authority. Speaks and acts with authority. Jesus just spoke with authority in our passage from last week. Here he steps in and teaches with authority again. It says, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. See, back in that day, rabbis weren't trying to share original thoughts. They would quote their predecessors and teachers and read scripture. So for Jesus to step in and share his own thoughts was amazing in and of itself. This difference is made clearer in the parallel passage in Mark. In Mark 1.22, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. See, his teaching stood out as radically different from the rabbis and scribes of that time. He is showing his authority simply through his words. If Jesus had come to earth and done no miracles, his words alone would have still radically set him apart. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, this and this and this, but I say to you, He's radically challenging the teachings that everyone knew and were comfortable with. But he is not a God that just gives orders. He meets needs through both words and actions. Jesus didn't just speak with authority. He also acted with authority. Verse 36 of our passage says, With authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. We see Jesus speak and act with authority many other places in the Gospels. But I wanted to quickly point out one. We're going to be coming back to our passage, but go ahead and flip ahead one page to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now Dave's going to be looking at this passage in depth in just a few weeks, but I wanted to show you one thing here. Luke 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching As he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, Your sins are forgiven you. Jesus begins by speaking with authority. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
to. Right here, he wants to show them that he truly has the authority to say what he said. He shows that he has the authority through action. And he does the same in our passage. So let's go back and look at this interaction. So we're going to spend the rest of our morning talking about the fact that Jesus has authority over demons. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Now, that's a weird phrase. Why is Luke so specific? Well, first of all, he he says the spirit, he's clearly referring to the spiritual realm as opposed to the physical. But back in that day, the Greeks... Uh, who Luke was trying to write to, the Greeks believed in both positive and negative demons. There were some demons that could do good. There were some demons that could do bad. Hence the word unclean, the spirit of an unclean demon, to denote and be clear with exactly what was going on. Had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. So they're sitting in a, in a setting similar-ish to this, And all of a sudden, someone just yells out with a loud voice. It's disruptive. What's happening here is this demon is interrupting Jesus' teaching. And by doing so, he's trying to take the control and authority in the situation. He says, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now, let's clarify the us here, okay? First of all, the man is not possessed by multiple demons. Later it says, I know who you are, not we know who you are. And then later in the passage it says, when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him. So again, talking about one demon. So what's the us that it's talking about? What have you to do with us? Well, it could have meant that the demon was talking about the demon and the man that he was possessing. He could have been saying that by destroying the demon meant destroying the man too. But more likely, the demon is referring to demons as a whole. Part of Jesus' ministry was combating Satan and his demons. And ultimately, Satan and his demons will be defeated. And they know that. This demon is recognizing that fact. He's recognizing Jesus' authority Over all demons. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us, all of us? And then he continues on. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows exactly who Jesus is. And James 2.19 confirms this idea. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demon knows who Jesus is. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Now, why does Jesus silence the demon? Because what the demon is saying is correct. That is who Jesus is, the Holy One of God. But, first of all, 
Jesus is taking back control and showing his authority in the situation. No, you come in and you're yelling and trying to take control, not going to happen. You shut your mouth. I'm in control here. But more than that, consider the source. Demons are not the best witnesses. A demon's proclamation of Jesus' identity would not likely lead to acceptance. And so Jesus is silencing him. He wants people to find out who he is by other methods, by other means. And then verse 35, it says, And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Now, this is worth noting, too, because it again shows Jesus' authority in the situation. He doesn't allow the demon to hurt the man. And then it finishes, And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Jesus has authority over demons and reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. No surprise here, right? Of course. Guys, you've got to hear what this guy Jesus did. Now we see in this passage, Jesus' authority over demons. We see this in the rest of scripture too. Scripture speaks of five ways that Satan and his demons attack people. In each of these, Jesus has authority. And I want to get in and talk about these five. But as we talk about a difficult subject, I want to be clear about a few things. And I've put these on your sheet so that you have these. First is that demons are real and demonic attack happens on a daily basis. Ephesians 6.12 says... For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is real. Second, this is nothing to take lightly or mess around with. It's serious stuff. Deuteronomy 18, it says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. And Romans 16, 19 says, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. There's a lot of stuff out there that's really evil, but is trying to be passed off as a game or something fun or something that's not that big a deal. This is serious stuff and not to be trifled with. There's a lot of stuff in this world that just makes my skin crawl, and it should. And we should have nothing to do with those things. Third, it's difficult and painful to be under attack by demonic forces. And it may last longer than you would desire or hope. In 2 Corinthians 12, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace 
is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God doesn't always take away the pain when we want him to. It's difficult and painful to be under attack by demonic forces. And it may last longer than you would desire or hope. But we see in this verse also that Jesus has the authority and control. So we have no need to fear. Now, it's so hard to be in the midst of demonic attack. And if you know anyone in that spot, come alongside them. Pray with them, love them, and let them know you're with them through this. So I say this not to make light of anyone's struggle or pain. Rather, I say this to remind us of the authority that Jesus has, no matter what is going on in and around us. One book that addresses this topic says, given that Satan is a fallen angel, it's also important for us to understand that he is a created being. While his power in human terms may appear awesome, it is insignificant in comparison to the power of God, the creator. Let's remember who is on our side. Romans 8 says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then in 38 and 39, it says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, oftentimes translated as demons or principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation that includes Satan, that includes his demons, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing. 1 John 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We need to remember that. Now, remembering these things, let me show you the five ways that Satan and his demons attack people. I want you to see not only that Scripture speaks of these different tactics, but also that Scripture speaks of how to deal with each of these. I'm going to give you the answer right now. The the way to deal with each of these, it's always Jesus. Okay? Just so you have it. All right, here we go. First of all, temptation. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' temptation. Satan attacked Jesus that way, and we are attacked in the same way. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We're tempted. Now it's a joint effort between the demons and our, and our own sin nature. James 1.14 says, But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire is in each of us. It's our sin nature. But demons help push that forward. Now, how can we fight against this attack? I put a key combat verse next to each of these types of attack on your sheet. 
And this verse is 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How do you find that way of escape? You run to Jesus. You fall on your face and pray. How do we fight against temptation? The answer is Jesus. Next, deception. Satan is the father of lies. It says in John 8, 44. It says in 2 Corinthians that he disguises himself as an angel of light. We also see multiple times through scripture him using false teachers to spread lies about the truths of God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan and his demons use deception. So how do we fight against this attack? Know the truth. Stay in the word. The verse here is John eight thirty one to 32. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, it comes back to Jesus, knowing him, knowing the truth. Third, we have accusation. Satan is the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12. Uh, he accuses Job before God. And he also accuses Joshua before God in Zechariah 3. So yes, Satan directly accuses. But this also shows up in our own lives in the form of guilt. Feeling like we're worthless. Satan and demons are accusing us of the wrong that we've done, which we have, and that we're not forgiven, which we are. So how do we fight against this attack? I'm sure you've felt it before. I'm not worthy. Which in some ways is true, but you're forgiven. First of all, Jesus is our advocate before God. So good to know that he's standing there. No, 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 no. I've got Ben covered. Jesus is standing before God. No, no. I've got him covered. I've got her covered. They're clean. Our sins are forgiven. We need to own that and claim that. The verse I put down for this is uh, Hebrews 10, verses 16 to 18. And this is actually quoted out of Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Yet again, the focus is on Jesus. 
on his forgiveness for us. Catch the theme here. Now these first three attacks are all focused on the mind and are common for the believer and the non-believer to face. So we need to be most prepared for these attacks. Remember, the best way to stand up against these attacks is running to Jesus, asking God for a way out of the temptation, knowing the truth of God's word, accepting and claiming God's forgiveness for your sins. Now, these next two are more focused on the physical, and the last one is the least common type of attack. Next, we have infirmity. In the Bible, Satan and demons caused illness in people. Satan gave Job boils. An evil spirit tormented King Saul. Jesus heals people afflicted with different illnesses caused by demons. Uh, men who couldn't, uh, a man who couldn't speak had a demon cast out and could then speak. A demon-oppressed man was blind and mute until Jesus healed him. A woman was disabled for 15, or I'm sorry, for 18 years. She couldn't stand up straight. Now, this doesn't mean that all sickness is caused by demons. Scripture even differentiates between the two, saying Jesus healed people and Jesus cast out demons. Most of the time, someone is sick because of the fallen world we live in and the nature of illness. Now, how do we fight against this attack? First of all, it's hard to tell the difference between a natural illness and a demonic infirmity. So the encouragement is to treat them the same. Treat it with prayer and with modern medicine. Use both. Don't sit there trying to decipher, well, is this demonic attack? Well, good. Pray for the person. Are they sick? Good. Pray for the person. Acts 10.38 shows us where all the power lies, even in this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus is the great physician. He can heal any disease and will when it is within his will to do so. Now, this includes both physical and mental illness. Treat with prayer and visits to the doctor. The final type of attack is possession. Now, this is the least common type of demonic attack, both in Scripture and today. It barely happens in Scripture. It's only mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. And I want to be clear and say that this can only happen to a non-Christian. Because Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they cannot be possessed by a demon. Now, to be clear on what possession is, this is when a demon has control over the person's thoughts and actions. We saw it in today's passage. We see it in the story of Legion, the man that's possessed by many demons. We see it in Acts when a group of people try to cast out a demon and the demon responds. Now, how do we fight against this attack? Lots of people have tried to carefully figure out the right method to cast out a demon. They're looking for a specific phrase or an order of how to do things. But the problem is that the focus is on them and on the demon. And the focus isn't on Jesus. We actually see an example of this in Acts. Acts 19, it says, Then some of the iterant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. 
But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Also in Mark, the apostles are trying to cast out a demon and aren't able to. And then they come to Jesus, who talks about the importance of belief, then cast the demon out. We pick up the story in the verses for this attack. Mark 9, 28 to 29, it says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples answered him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So how do we fight against possession? We go to Jesus. We pray fervently. But we recognize that the power to cast out the demon lies with Jesus, not with us. Take the focus off the demon. Don't be looking for the demons. Look for Jesus. Don't speak to the demon. Speak to Jesus. I hope you see that in all these attacks, the way to fight is Jesus. Jesus gives us a way of escape when we're tempted. Jesus gives us the truth we need. Jesus has forgiven our sins once for all. Jesus is the great physician. And Jesus is the one who can cast out demons. Jesus has authority over demons. I left that phrase up on the screen so that we could continue to stare at it as we went through these attacks. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. These verses summarize all we just talked about really well. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, he's doing the work, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus has all authority. In this encounter with a demon-possessed man, Jesus speaks and acts with authority because he has it. And for that, we worship him. Now we're going to move into a time of communion right now. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come on up. Now communion is where every believer is invited to remember Jesus' death together. We're going to pass the elements, uh, and I'd ask that you just hold on to them. We're going to take together after this next song. But what I'd encourage you to do is to use the time to prepare your heart as we remember Christ's sacrifice. Ask for forgiveness. 
Claim the forgiveness that is already yours. Praise Jesus for the authority that he has to forgive sins. The authority to take our place. The authority to sacrifice himself on our behalf. In Hebrews 2, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus' death was the ultimate defeat of Satan and his demons. Jesus' body being broken, crushed Satan. Let's take the bread and remember. His blood has washed away all of our sins. The accuser will try to drag you down. But remember that Jesus' work on the cross gave us forgiveness once for all. You're forgiven. He is our advocate. He's standing before the Father. This person is clean. Covered. I've got them. Let's take the cup in celebration together. Oh, what a beautiful Savior! You are a beautiful, beautiful Savior. You stepped in. On my behalf. I, what else can I say but thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You have all the authority. All the power. So I have no need to fear. There is nothing that will separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing. If God is for us, who can stand against us? No one. Nothing. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for having the authority and the power and the ability and the right to step in on our behalf and to do it with a love that we cannot ever imagine or comprehend. Help us to live the rest of our lives in an attitude of thankfulness, of gratitude, of celebration of what you've done. In Jesus' name.